You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome to everybody on this wonderful, wonderful Sunday. Well, Sunday morning here, Sunday afternoon, if you're back east or anywhere in between. Uh, you are joining me, Dr. Jeff Werber, your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, the only live call-in show here on Pet Life Radio. And once again, a live call-in show. That means we need you to be alive. Hope you are. And you're going to call us at 877-385-8882. Once again, jot it down, 877-385-8882. Or you can just go ahead and log on to Pet Life Radio, go on to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff Tab, and you can follow us and join in on the conversation. That's very easy to do. And lastly, you can send me live an email as we speak, as I'm on the air, here to Dr. Jeff, that's Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com, and our phenomenal producer, Mark Winter, will send it on to me live, real-time, and we can answer your questions. You can ask anything you want. If I don't have an answer, I will get it for you, and we'll share it with you next week. By the way, I want to thank our sponsors, ProSense Pet Products, Kong, Kong Veterinary Products. So anyone who does call in, anyone who writes, sends me an email, we will send you out a free ProSense product and or Kong toy. So make sure you let us know about your pet. Is it a dog or is it a cat? How big, et cetera, et cetera. So typically we have been going through a lot of different organ systems that we've been working on eyes. We've talked about some of the issues that we get. Then we went on to the nose and the respiratory diseases. We talked about most recently foreign objects like foxtails and how important it is to search for those. They go up the nose. As a matter of fact, I know one of my cases tomorrow is a large breed dog, a German Shepherd, that has been doing some snorting and starts these sneezing attacks and starts bleeding on one side. And typically when there's one-sided bleeding, we're looking for either a nasal polyp or maybe a potentially a mass. This dog is a little too young for mass or a migrating foreign body. And this time of year, that migrating foreign body is probably going to be a foxtail. So anyway, before going on, and unless somebody wants to call and ask a question about anything, I'm sure you've heard the expression, how important it is to learn from our own mistakes. Well, here on Pet Life Radio, and as a practitioner, I've been doing this for over 30 years, I want to help you learn from other people's mistakes. Because when you hear these stories, hopefully you will not make the same mistakes. Uh, a while ago, we've talked about one of my clients who had a non-neutered male, and it was a Wheaton Terrier. And as this dog was getting older, probably about eight or nine, started having prostate issues. And we would cure the prostate problem. We would treat it. It would do well. And I would often talk to the owner about the importance of neutering. Certainly, this dog was too old to breed. He was no longer going to breed it. I don't even think he bred it ever in the first place, but he had this hang-up, as sadly many guys out there do. If you're a guy out there that has a hang-up about your own dog's package, would you please call us, 877-385-882. I want to talk to you. I want to get to the root of this issue. But anyway, so he refused. Sure enough, oh, a little while later, months later, a year later, the dog would present again with another one. Well, it, it got so bad to the point this dog was so sick because of his prostate, this called benign prostatic hyperplasia. And he was uncomfortable. He didn't want to eat. He was losing weight. And I kept 
trying to tell the owner, we got to fix this dog for once and for all. Anyway, P.S. When the dog was about 10 and a half, he had it. He finally had it. Dog presented really, really sick. High white cell count, very tender, very painful, not wanting to urinate, all the symptoms of a big prostate. And we treat it first because, you know, ideally you try not to neuter a dog in the face of a prostatic hyperplasia incident. Why? Because when we do that, we leave the possibility of what we call prostatic cysts. And those are difficult to deal with. Ideally, we don't want to deal with them. So to help prevent the formation of these cysts, it's always better to neuter a dog whose prostate is normal. So first, we need to treat the prostate problem, if we can, of course. And then once we're back to kind of normal, then we go ahead and do the neuter. Well, P.S., we finally did it. We got the prostate back to normal. He got permission. We neutered the dog at 10 and a half years of age. I mean, come on. Well, this dog lived to about 13 and a half, and its last two years were basically heaven. So learn from this. And I, I use this story all the time when I'm up against someone who's got an older dog, has a prostatic issue, and just won't let me neuter. And we share it. I said, you know, I will even give you his name. He will talk to you. Don't make the same mistake he did and have a miserable dog, a dog with problems, etc. So we had recently just the other day, a dog presented, and this dog was a six-year-old female. Now, golden retriever on the smaller side, and the presenting complaint was she could not get up. It was almost as if she were paralyzed. So when my technician went into the room first to do what we call our tech exam, he also told me, he wrote down, the dog can't walk, the dog knuckles over on its front legs. I mean, it sounded very neurologic to me. So I went in to look at the dog, and first thing I'm thinking... It is highly unusual, and I use those terms, highly unusual instead of impossible, because we've learned oftentimes nothing is impossible, but it's highly unusual for a large breed dog, a golden retriever, to have a disc up high enough in the shoulders or neck to cause forelimb problems, period. Can it happen? Of course it can happen, but it's not usual. If the golden retriever is going to have a limb problem, it's going to be because of lumbosacral instability way in the back. It's going to be because of a bad knee It's going to, you know, or knees from a cruciate ligament. It's going to be bad hips from hip dysplasia, maybe, maybe a lumbar disc but, or something called spondylosis as they get really old, but not six years old. So for me, you know, being the detective that one has to be when you become a diagnostician, you put all that stuff on the lower part of your list. It's not removed from your list, but it's not very it's not the top. So I start feeling the legs and I get resistance. I get pulses. I mean, it wasn't that she was paralyzed. It was that she was in extreme pain. When I tried to palpate her abdomen, her belly, it was so tense, so hard, like a drum. There's no way she would let me palpate. So of course, with a tender abdomen like that, one of the presenting problems would be pancreatitis. Ah, now that's something I could see in a six-year-old golden retriever. So I, any vomiting, no vomiting, does the dog get a hold of anything unusual? Could I have gotten a hold of anything fatty? No, no, no. So that's off my list. So as I'm examining her, I see a very swollen vulva. Now, we don't see swollen vulvas routinely unless the dog is in heat. Six-year-old, would I expect a six-year-old to be in heat in my practice where 99% of my patients are spayed or neutered? The answer is no. So I go through the record briefly just before I say anything to the owner. It was actually the owner. It was the owner's assistant. And I do not see that we have spayed this dog at any time. Wow. So I call the owner. 
And I say, you know, we don't see it here, but I know that you sometimes may go someplace else. You do a lot of traveling. They have a, a house in the mountains. Maybe they took care of this up there. Shiver and spade. And the answer was no. I said, ah, now it's all, now it's making sense. A dog who is a swollen vulva, that means he was probably recently in heat, maybe within six to eight weeks, just did not want to move. And I'm thinking, oh my God, this is screaming pyometra. So to put it on the x-ray table, take an x-ray, I could see a little bit of a swollen uterus. But on x-ray, when it comes to fluid, fluid is your enemy, right? When it comes to ultrasound, fluid is your friend. So I really couldn't see exactly the detail I wanted to see. So I put her on the uh, ultrasound machine table. We did an ultrasound and we saw pockets, I mean pockets of fluid in both horns of her uterus and what seemed to be some leakage fluid in the abdomen as well, which would explain why she was so tense. So call the owner, tell him what my thoughts were. We do it interestingly. This is very interesting. We did a blood test. Typically, dogs who present with pyometra have a white blood cell count off the charts. I mean, literally off the charts. High white cell count for a dog is probably, oh, 18, 19,000, depending on the lab you use. And it wouldn't surprise me in a dog with pyometra to be 70,000. I mean, literally five, four times high normal. I mean, it's insane. Anyway, her values are perfect. Her values, her chemistry was perfect. Also, that ruled out potential pancreatitis anyway. So I said, you know what? This is what I think it is. I'm seeing something, pockets of something in the abdomen of fluid, and I'm also seeing some free-floating fluid. That in of itself is an indication to explore. I think it's going to be pyometra. That's my biggest concern. I think that would explain all the symptoms. Oh, when you're a diagnostician, when you're doing diagnostics in medicine, always look for the one disease or the one condition that can cause all of the signs. Instead of looking at, say, three or four different diseases going on at the same time, is if you recall back when we talked about hyperthyroidism in cats, before we learned really more about hyperthyroid cats, these cats would present ADR, ain't doing right, weight loss, very, very fast heart rates. And if you took bloods, they'd have liver enzyme elevations. So for years, years, doctors were diagnosing these cats as having a heart problem and a liver problem, and maybe even the, the weight loss either because of the heart problem, which is very possible, or another problem going on. Time out! If you ever watch House MD, they put the board and you're saying, what what are the feasibilities? What are the possibilities that all the symptoms we're seeing could fit into one of the various diseases on our list? And if the answer is no, again, you don't cross it off the list, but you, you move it. You move it down a little bit. You're looking for that one disease that can explain everything. And when I saw the abdomen, the fluid, the thickened uterus, etc., I said, this is it. This is it. It's got to be pile. So we go in, and sure enough, she has pus free-floating in her belly. She has a very thickened uterus, both sides, with a lot of, of, of bubbles of pus. Now, there are two types of pyometra that we'll see in a dog. A pyometra is a severe uterine infection that often follows an estrus by about eight weeks. And the vulva is still swollen because of the, the recent estrus. And there are two presentations of pyometra. One we call open and one we call closed. Now, in an open pyo, it's a lot easier to diagnose why because the purulent discharge that is coming from the uterus, which is a highly infected uterus, which is why the white blood cell count goes off the charts high, 
is that they are draining the pus. So you make you can make your diagnosis by symptoms, by high white cell count, the fact that she was recently in heat, and you see actually see the pus coming out of the back end. So therefore, we know that that is our problem. Well, the other one that is a bit more difficult to diagnose, and that is a closed pio. Closed is where the musculature at the body of the uterus and the vaginal canal is still so tight that the purulent discharge, the exudate coming from the infected uterus is not leaking. It's staying there within. And here, because the uterine tissue became so friable because of this infection that the pus started leaking out into the belly, which explained A, the very, very sad, poor condition that she was in, B, the fact that she was so tender, her belly was so tense, and of course, when I opened her up, and on the ultrasound, I can actually see free-floating pockets of fluid. So this was a very, very sad, severe case. And it's time for our quick little break. Halfway through the show, boy, does time go fast. So uh, don't go away. In fact, I'd love to hear from you. Anyone who has any questions about spay-neuter, as soon as we're back in the second 15 minutes of the show, would you please give us a call at 877-385-8882 and let's discuss this with everybody so hopefully everybody can learn from our mistakes. Don't go away. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Orber, here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. We'll be right back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. This is my tired of itching face. Does your dog suffer from persistent itching and scratching? Allergies and skin irritations caused by environment, including pollens, insects, especially fleas, food, and common household allergens are common problems in dogs. It's easy to alleviate your dog's discomfort at home with ProSense. ProSense itch and allergy products provide fast relief from symptoms like itchy, irritated skin skin infections like hot spots and watery eyes. ProSense products are veterinary formulated and recommended to ensure the very best for your pet. Try ProSense today. Your dog will thank you for it. Pets love life. Love them back with ProSense. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com. Active for Pets is a new wellness platform and app that helps pet parents save time and money on their vet bills. Stop paying for unnecessary vet treatments. Consult with a vet online. Get unlimited access to your pet's entire health history from any computer or smartphone with the Active for Pets app. Vaccinations, medications, test results, and more. Active 4 Pets gives you access to a team of expert vets for non-emergency care. Make an appointment before, during, or after office hours. Skip the waiting room and get a secure online vet consult on your schedule. Taking care of your pets is as easy as it gets with Active 4 Pets. Ready to try Active 4 Pets? Listeners get 40% off a one-year membership. To get this great offer, use promo code PETLIFE on the sign-up page of Active4Pets.com. That's A-C-T-I-V, the number 4, P-E-T-S dot com. Or call 888-512-2848. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. Uh, you're here with Dr. Jeff here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And before our quick break, uh, we were talking about Coco. Coco was my six-year-old patient, golden retriever, presenting very, very sick. And how we sort of had to put all the pieces together and we came up with a diagnosis, a pyometra, which is a severe, severe uterine infection that could be deadly. And it could be deadly because the white cell count goes so high, these poor dogs get very, very sick. And in this case, as a perfect example, is that, as I mentioned before the break, that her uterus finally started to rupture and leak. And what it was leaking was this, this purulent discharge, this pus, these white cells, these bacteria into the abdominal cavity. And that's why this dog was so sore and so tense. And what's so interesting is that I typically am on the more conservative side. I am a more of a wait and see. Let's do some supportive care for a day or two. Let's see what happens. Let's see how we do. I think, you know, have I been burned over the years? Absolutely. But 95, 98% of the time by sitting back and just letting see what nature takes its course, that I'm way ahead of the game. And in this case, there was just something that was bothering me to say, you know what? I had had already started on IVs. I already started the IV antibiotics. I had my hunch, but I said, you know what? I don't think we should wait. She feels so terribly right now. I don't think there's a downside. My fear was that if she were to get worse, all right, over the next, you know, 20 to 24 hours, then she'd become a much greater surgical risk. And I didn't want that to happen. As I said, I advise the owners, look, I could be wrong, but we definitely have to, it may not be Pio, but there's something going on in here that we have to see what it is. And I think exploring is the way to go. So P.S., we anesthetize, we open her up, we explore. Sure enough, it is Pio. She's got this purulent discharge all over the place. Her tissue is friable, tearing apart. It was just a mess in there. And, you know, whoever, you know, when I hear these people coming out and saying, oh my God, spay, it's a routine procedure. There is nothing routine about a spay, especially, you know, if you have a young, healthy dog, never been in season, right? Yeah, that, admittedly, it is pretty easy. But you give me a, a middle-aged to older dog that's had several heats or a litter, we are talking a different animal here, pardon the pun. This is not a routine surgery because the tissue can literally break apart in your hands. And then you got to deal with all this bleeding. It's really often a challenge. And this dog, or any dog when you're doing a pio, is going to be a challenge. So sure enough, we um, removed her uterus, and she actually woke up from surgery pretty well. We did a lot of what we call lavage, cavity lavage, the abdominal cavity, where we take sterile saline. We warm it up, of course. You want to keep it around body temperature, and you pour it into the belly. You kind of mush things around a little bit, like a little milkshake. You're, you're shaking it, and then you take your suction tube, your suction device, and you drain it out, and then you do it again, and then you drain it out, and you do it again, and you drain it until the liquid coming out from your suction device is about the same color as the sterile saline going in. Then you know you've cleaned up pretty well. So anyway, she woke up 
very, very well, very quickly. And she was eating that evening. And by the next morning, the owners came to visit in the evening. First of all, they couldn't believe it because they saw she was like in the morning. When their assistant brought her in, she was terrible. She was in horrendous shape. She looked like she could have been near death. It was just awful. And then they come to pick her up, and she is walking all over the place, and she is wagging her tail. It was so cute. This dog knows me really well. And as a matter of fact, on the second day, when we finally let her home, we actually sent her home on Friday, you know, she was well enough to walk around. So we closed all the doors of our large treatment room, and I just let her walk around. And she literally saw me. I was sitting at one of the computer workstations. She comes right at my feet. She sits down. When I would get up, she would get up. I would, she would follow me wherever I went. It was hysterical. My crew couldn't believe it. She goes, what are you? Does she think you're your, she's your dog? And I said, no. But I've been taking care of her for a long time. And I, I, think I was the only recognizable face there. And of course, she's in a strange environment. And they, they're, they're a little bit fearful. So they will latch on to that one person that they know, that they recognize. And it was very, very cute. But the night I left, this is the night of surgery. She was still, you know, out of it a little bit. She was sitting up. She was, I mean, did very well. And I was started to talk to her through the cage. And I would go, Coco. And I went over and I took a walk over and I threw my arms out. And I said, Coco. And I got two wags of her tail. And I knew right then, I knew then that she was going to be on the mend. And as I said, next morning, she was already up. She was eating. So we kept her. We did the surgery for Wednesday afternoon. We kept her all day Thursday, and she went home Friday. So anyway, it was really an amazing experience. This is, these are the times, and it doesn't happen often. I often say, regardless of how good your veterinarian is or isn't or thinks he or she is, the truth of the matter is that most of our patients are going to get well in spite of us, not because of us. In other words, we go in, we do the basics, we get an answer, but most of the diseases we're treating, we can't actually treat the disease. We are supporting the body to let the body treat the disease. So it's the IV fluids, it's the IV antibiotics, it's the, the vitamin, whatever it is that we're doing depending on the disease, it's the supplements, it's the, the special food, but we're just providing the body the tools. Ultimately, it's the body that's going to have to do it. But this is one of those where you have these very, very serious deadly conditions where it is your hand that actually makes a difference, that makes the, that, that saves the pet, you feel so great afterwards. And I, this is one of those cases where I knew that had it not been for us making the bold move instead of the conservative move of going in that same day, Wednesday, as soon as our surgery hour started, there would have been a good chance that she may not have made it overnight or would have been so sick the next day that she wouldn't have not, would have not have made it through the surgery. So you just feel so good when these things happen. They're, they're, it was just a great experience. So anyone out there, 877-385-8882, drjeff at petliferadio.com. Join in on a tab and join the conversation. I would really love to know how many of you and why still have adult females that are not spayed. What are the reasonings? Who told you? to the contrary, that it's good for them. Now, certainly we have changed our, we talked about it here extensively here on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, that with the large breed dogs, those dogs that are prone to developing bone cancer, I too have become an advocate of waiting and let them have their first heat, not their second heat. Their first heat comes at seven months, second heat around 14 months, spay them 11, 12 to 13 months. You want to get them still before their second heat, but it might be a good idea to let them have one heat. Very small breeds. The dogs that we don't usually see, bone cancer, uh, if you wanted to spay them early before their first heat, that's okay. Remember that the prevention or what the best we can do to contribute to the prevention of mammary cancer 
is by spaying them early, preferably before, again, before their second heat. So if you want to let them have one heat, okay, I'm not going to argue with you, but ideally you want to spay them before their second heat. Now, if you have a breeding dog, now we're talking a dog that you've put through the motions, they are AKC, whatever, CKC, certified hips, everything, certified surf exam, the Canine Eye Registry Foundation. You've been an amazing pet owner with your breedable dog. You are in the business. You are legitimate. You are responsible, etc. If all of that is the case and you choose to breed, that's okay. There are a lot of people out there that might disagree with you because of the overpopulation problem, but if, as long as you're doing it well and right and these dogs are healthy and breedable, then I can live with it. But when they finish their breeding age, whether it's six or seven or eight, depending on the breed, how successful or not, are the litters getting smaller, whatever the case may be, it's time to get them fixed, especially, especially these dogs, especially dogs that have had one or more litters. These are the ones that might be very prone to problems down the road, and the best way to prevent them is through spay and neuter. So, well, obviously, in a case of female, it's the spay. So I highly recommend, if you have any questions, I would love to hear from you. We can read your questions here live on air next week at Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. Just send me an email to drjeff at petliferadio.com. I will get it. I will answer. Read it online live next week, and we can discuss. I would love to hear from you about this. Anyway, it's that time. The time goes very quickly. Thanks for joining. Um, I'm your host here for every Sunday morning, hopefully. And next week, we're going to talk about my trips to um, Lima and especially Bangkok, the world's small animal veterinary association. It was an amazing experience, and we'll talk a little bit about it. Thanks for joining me here. Thanks again to ProSense and Kong, and we'll be here next week, same time, here on Pet Life Radio. Have a good week. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.